Sir Balper and the team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his bi-weekly appearance in the program. This is the sort of appearance he'll make once every two weeks. Lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest on this edition of the program, as he has done and he will continue to do. Longenhagen endeavors here to analyze all prospects, all baseball prospects of particular note this week. July 2nd is upon us. Notable that date for marking the first day upon which teams can sign international free agents who are 16 years or older. Doing his part to analyze those international free agents, Eric Longenhagen has supplied in the electronic pages of Fangraphs a sortable leaderboard, a sortable board with the names and other relevant information concerning all of those top prospects. However, at the same time, one notes that Many of those names will not be relevant, even to particularly invested baseball fans for a number of years. Of course, a number of these prospects, most of these prospects are 16 years old. So what I ask Longenhagen to do is not to talk about those players at length, but rather to review the international free agent signings from 2011. We look at the prospects who received the top 10 bonuses from that year. It's a list that includes, for example, Nomar Mazzara of the Texas Rangers and Roberto Osuna, closer for the Toronto Blue Jays and also some players who have drifted into obscurity to get a sense of the success rate for these sorts of players. Included in Longenhagen's assessment of those players are 20 to 80 grades. Of course, 20 to 80 on the scouting scale, very common. It also brought to my mind a question, a question along these lines. One finds, for example, that over the past five years, the average starter's velocity has increased from roughly 91 miles per hour to 92 miles per hour. That is the average fastball velocity across Major League starters. Has, I ask Longenhagen, has the average grade for fastballs, 50, has that in effect changed with it? Has it adapted? The short answer is no. Longenhagen explains why that's not a problem. Finally, there's some conversation about failure and disappointment, which is relevant to all matters. No sponsor's message today, although if there were, it would be for SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com, but nothing more than that, which allows us to get to the conversation post-haste. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. Let us begin right now. Restarting my computer. I got a message. I got an alert from Wonderground.com. That, yeah. Um, we might have some penny-sized hail in the area. Oh, that's not good. No. I had to bring in – I'm hardening up some Brussels sprouts seedlings. You roast them? Well, of course, yeah. Of course, this is what you do. You roast them, you saute them in mustard, and you roast them. But I'm saying that – my point is that they're not Brussels sprouts yet. They're just seedlings, Eric. Okay. So I have some seedlings outside that I'm hardening up. Do you know what this is? No. Yeah, I don't uh, – I'm assuming you want to protect them from the hail. Yeah, so I brought them indoors – because they're just seedlings, but uh, yeah, you got to harden them up. You expose them like over the course of a week. You expose them to the outside so they can become accustomed to it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question before, uh, I only I worked for a year or volunteered at a year for a community radio station in Northampton, Massachusetts. Okay. I had a program called Goal the Soccer Show that I inherited from like a sixty-year-old man. Talked about soccer, but then I learned about recording techniques. And I will tell you, Eric, in confidence, and also everyone listening, that I only know as much as I need to know to produce this. And no more. There was a while when I was living here in Pennsylvania when I thought I wanted to do radio. 
and there's sort of like a local AM only Ricky Dink radio station that was run by uh, a man named Jolly Joe Timmer, who was like a local polka legend. <laughs> uh, and you know, it's interesting you say local polka legend. I think that that is a much more common title than international polka legend. <laughs> I think loca, local polka legend is probably a lot more common. But yeah, I got in touch with, with uh, the late Jolly Joe Timmer. Uh, and he told me that if I wanted to be on the air, I'd have to pay him some, I forget, like something like $50 an hour to be on the air, and that it would be a good investment for my career. And I told him to f*** himself. You told him to f***? You said f*** yourself? No, no, I not... Uh, no, I, I mean, I wasn't very respectful to him. I was kind of taken aback by it, but um, yeah. he's dead now, so it's okay. Have <laughs> you forgiven him? If there is a God, he is just. My mom said to me today, she said, uh, whoa... She said, uh, looks like you're dealing with some midlife stuff, you know? And then she Why probably, what propagated that? Uh, I was doing responsible adult things. Okay. And then she goes, and then she paused and she said, well, like actually, she said, I guess that would depend on when you're going to die. And she said, your, your midlife could have been a long time ago. <laughs> Which is the sort of thing mothers say, you know? Well, I guess now at least we have some glimpse into why you are the way you are. Let's talk about – you mentioned that you're in Pennsylvania. You're usually not in Pennsylvania whenever we talk or correspond. You Mm -hmm. are typically in Phoenix, Arizona. Right. You have uh, brought your whole body, though, to the Northeast. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what are you you doing? You're visiting a home, I assume. Yeah, I'm in my brother's childhood bedroom right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I came home for a wedding. But yeah. uh, Jill, Jill already left for to go back home to Tempe, and I'm just hanging out this week and, and scouting. You know, I got a game every night. Uh, you know, trying to shift some things around. now though that Giolito got called up, sort of put a, a wrench into things. And I was going to go see Chris Paddock from the the Marlins system on Thursday at Lakewood, but they moved him back to Friday now. And kind of get your to... hey? Here's a question. Yeah. This is a this is literally inside baseball. That's a term people use generally, but this is specifically by what strategies or, or by what techniques do you do you uh, find out who will be the who are the probable pitchers in the minor leagues? Well, primarily you just sort of rely on the the team's websites. Yeah. yeah. And those aren't necessarily reliable. So, you know, you're checking back and looking to see when guys you're interested in started last and try to time out. You know, like I, I was tracking Giolito for like the last month <laughs> to see when he'd be around me this week. Um, you just sort of get a feel for how often guys go and make sure that there's not anything weird like six-man rotations going on with a, with a given team. And you know, cross your fingers while you're in the car to a degree. You, know? <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. What's the most... Dis- now, I, I assume there's, you know, there are cases when you say, oh, I'm going to go see this pitcher. And mm-hmm. that's really, you know, I mean, that's, I, uh, my, my sense is that's typically when you're going to a game, you're lining it up with a strong pitcher because that's, that's the player at whom you're going to get the longest look. Right. So you're going to see someone specifically. What's the, what's the most disappointed you've ever been? I mean, I guess if it, if it's raining when you get there, that's one thing that can be happening. Wow, that's a good question. I just want to plumb your disappointments, Eric. Oh, man. Uh, there, the, Steven Strasburg's home debut at double A mm-hmm. was disappointing from a scouting perspective. 
but like my friends and I all went and we had a blast because we, we went there and it was clearly Harrisburg who had a new stadium at the time it was not prepared for the crowd that was going to show up to see Strasburg's home debut there and there was rain and so the start of the game was delayed because of the rain and then because uh, of all the power that was being used around the ballpark to satisfy all the gustatorial needs of the you know attendees yeah. they had a brownout and the stadium lights went out before first pitch and then they had another delay while those rebooted now a brownout is that when is that when the lights are covered by poop uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but yeah. you know it was i think he only threw two innings because there was another rain delay and then they just yanked him after that first rain delay yeah. uh, to make sure nothing happened but it was just so humid that night that you could hear, even from our, we had terrible seats that night, cause I, you know, we were just there. Uh, but you could hear Strasburg's fastball cutting through the air, cause he was just throwing it so hard. Yeah. We were down the third baseline, or down the first baseline, like all the way back in the top row of the bleachers, and just could hear the and into the glove. Like, it was crazy. Uh, he made Ben Revere look like, uh, you know, like a, a high school kid in that first at bat. Been and Drew Fuller that night too. I remember uh, strangely a lot about that night, but you know, from like a scouting perspective, it wasn't good to see Strasburg throw, you know, an inning and a half. No. Yeah. All right. That's fine. I just wanted to um, um, become more well acquainted with your disappointments. Mm-hmm. It, <clears throat> hey, wait. So, what? Who else have you been scouting when you're there? Because I, I will tell you honestly. I'll be honest with you. This is yeah. something that I would do with Kyla McDaniel sometimes is just to uh, begin by saying, well, you know, uh, what have you seen the last week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Monday night was – I went to see Lynchburg in Wilmington. Uh, I had seen the Lynchburg kids at the Cal and Carolina League All-Star game last week, but, you know, I figured I'd go see Bobby Bradley and Yu Chang Chang. And you you went Allen to the Cal again. and California League yeah. All-Star game? Cal League and Carolina League have, they play each other in their all-star game. That yeah. was out in Lake Elsinore, California. Yes. And I, so believe, I saw that last Tuesday. I believe Greg Allen featured in that game, did he not? He, yeah, he's, he's quite good. <laughs> yeah. He's become uh, a, he's become a fixture among the French five. He's, he's a legit dude. It's, it's real. Uh, I mean, I've seen I've seen eight at bats now in the last week, and he's walked in three of them. His pitch recognition is really good. He's an above average runner. He's good field for center field. He threw at a guy uh, from the close to the warning track in center field at third base at the All Star game. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> Do you think he's going to appear on mid season lists? Mid season lists? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Okay. Good. I think it'll probably take. I think it'll take the whole year for guys like that to. to you know, it's going to take the whole year, I think, for everyone to be like, okay, I believe in this guy, and for that information to sort of permeate the industry. So yeah, I saw that. I saw them on Monday night, and then last night I drove to Trenton to see Portland with Benintendi and Moncada. And uh, Mar- Mauricio Dubon. Uh, yeah. Uh, to and Nate Fryman. Fryman came in as a defensive replacement at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dubon, you know, Dubon I don't really like. I'm just not into Dubon. Swing is long. It's, it's below average bat speed and a long swing. Uh, you know, just I just don't like it. Um, 
Well, as soon as we're done here tonight, then I'll go see the Cuban national team as long as the people I want to see are in the lineup. You know, I'm just all over the place here this week. Wait, why did you don't like Dubon? I don't think he's going to hit at all. Hmm. Like in any sort of way that's even viable at the bottom of a lineup. Really? Yeah. What about all the contact he makes? Doesn't he make a lot of contact? I feel like he's made a lot of contact. Does that, does that not mean anything to you? I mean, I'll certainly look at the stat line and consider it, but just based on what I've seen now twice in the last week, I it's not for me. Okay. Well, it's, it does seem as though maybe he's not done a lot on contact. There's another player like that, Luis, Luis Urias or Urias, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. in the Padres system. Padres system at Lake Elsinore, yeah. Yeah. Him I like. You like this. So there's, you recognize a difference between the two. Yeah. Hmm. Physically, there's definitely a difference. What's the uh, difference? Urias is, is more stocky and uh, and strong. Yeah. There's better bat speed. There's, uh, I'd say as far as bat control goes, there's probably, I'd give Orias an edge there, though not quite as, it's not quite as large as in other areas. Mm-hmm. I think Dubon's probably got a little bit better of a defensive profile. But, uh, but yeah, I think Orias has a chance to hit. Uh, whereas Dubon, I think once, you know, once he gets to the upper levels, I think that's gonna, that's gonna stop. You think he's going to get the bat knocked out of his hands? It is very much that type of body and, uh, you know, sort of physicality with the bat. Uh, but I don't think it'll happen literally. <laughs> How do you think that manifests itself statistically, right? Because I, I could think of a couple different ways. I think of maybe it affects his extra base power, right? Mm-hmm. Power on contact. And I can think that maybe what it does is it leads to weak ground balls or infield fly balls and thus deflated batting averages and balls in play. I think that's probably true. I think that uh, the skill sets of guys who typically elicit that phrase from scouts mm-hmm. might typically include speed, which so maybe the Babip uh, comment isn't necessarily true because I think maybe it sort of ba- balances things out. Uh, but yeah, I, I generally I agree with you. Okay. I'm just curious. I, I thought that uh, Jose Ramirez was maybe going to be that sort of player, you know, on the on Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But he's actually, uh, he's shown, he drives the ball sufficiently well, it seems like now. Yeah, he's been quite good. Yeah. And I think part of part of the reason the you know, like Carlos Tachi in Philly system, you know, it's it's little dudes. Yeah. It's skinny, slight dude. You know, Jose Ramirez is a thick dude. He's thicker. So yeah. <clears throat> what's the difference between I mean because uh, Jose Jose Altuve of course is quite small, but but you see he's, some This is I guess stop yeah. Jose Altuve is short. Okay. He's not, not small. Not small. Okay. So this is what this is what we're talking about. You're looking for a it's not. It's not just the. It's not just height. It's also musculature. That's yeah. Incredible. Okay. Yeah, he's absolutely. Not, okay. He's short. Mm-hmm. Right. I was. It's. A, it's disappointing, I guess, because I'm probably more likely to cheer, to root on, support players who <laughs> with with my <laughs> share of body type. And yet, okay. I, it's almost. I'm almost positive that my body type does not lend itself to power on contact. Neither does mine. No, I think we have similar body types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you, you're probably a little bit more stickish. Mm-hmm. 
than I am. But yeah, like I the the shirts I typically wear to games are the Mark Anthony polo shirts from Kohl's, which fit me very very well. Uh, and are very flattering to my figure, which probably means that I share a body type with Mark Anthony. So, do you mean pop, pop uh, sensation, Mark Anthony? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, say one more name of a, bur- of a player you're going to see this you've seen in the last week. Um, Sean Coyle. Sean Coyle. Sean Coyle. Sean Coyle, the the Red Sox system. Yeah. Infielder. Hit before power, moved into center field last night. Benintendi DH last night, and Coyle played center field in deference to Moncada and Dubon and uh, Lynn, who are the three infielders now. That, Fred that Lynn. Plays. Not Fred Lynn, right. Sue Wei Lynn. Oh, okay, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you see Lynn last year? Did you come to Fall League last year? No. Did okay. I see Fred Lynn? No, not Fred Lynn. Sue oh, Wei Lynn. Sue Wei Lynn, oh, okay. Not Sue Whalen. No, I understand what you're saying. You're okay, saying T S U hyphen W E I space L I N. L I N, yeah. You're okay. Just so we're clear. Yeah, right. Um you oh that means you also saw Andrew Benatendi. Would you like to would you like to know a fact about Andrew Benatendi? Yes. Uh reported to me on this very program a couple days ago by Dave Cameron, to whom it was relayed by uh the Staten Island Yankees director of promotions, Mike Holly. Okay. Mike Holly said that at the park, which the Staten Island Yankees play, which abuts um, the ocean, I guess is what it abuts. I'm sure it has some sort of some sort of sound, but it's essentially like where the Hudson River, the area out to which the Hudson River, you know, deposits. Mm-hmm. Um, there's water there. It's you know there's the there's the wall and then some land and then ocean. Bay. We'll call it the ocean. And um, Cameron asked Holly if he had seen, uh, if the latter had seen any players hit the ball into the ocean. And Holly, who's worked there for a few years, to the best of my knowledge, said he's only seen one player do it. He did it twice, and it was a visiting player. It was Andrew Benintendi. He looked quite good last night. Doubled down both lines, runs well, strong for his size. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and future MVP? Was that future MVP? No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Why? It's, it is crazy though that coming into his sophomore year at there Arkansas, were people, there were important people who hadn't heard of him, people who didn't know he was going to be a draft eligible sophomore. Right. It's crazy. I mean, I'll be He's honest right. with you. I was excited about him as a sophomore, but I did not know he was draft eligible. And this mm-hmm. was only after he'd hit several home runs. But the it's numbers really were good early on. Okay. And did you say one thing about Sean Coyle? Uh, the, for someone who's just starting to play center field, he looked pretty good out there. Not sure about the bat control. Uh, there's bat speed. But he's going to have to make a good bit of contact because I don't think there's power there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure about it. I'm going to okay. do some more video work and ask some people who have seen more of him than I have lately. Okay. You, uh, Eric Loggenhagen, uh, know things, and uh, perhaps one of the things you know is that right-hander Brock Stewart will be dating oh, yeah. for the Los Angeles Dodgers tonight. Brock Stewart is someone um, to whom I've given some thought. It, um, it, 
because he has put up excellent strikeout and walk rates in the minor leagues. Okay? Okay. Uh, but if I have omitted him from inclusion in the Fringe 5, which is a weekly uh, it's a weekly column I do for Fangraphs.com, if I've omitted him, it's because the scouting reports that I've read regarding Stewart have always suggested that he has average, at best, velocity. Which, if you're talking about a right-hander who's just got average velocity, um, you know, that can be exposed that can be exposed at the major league level, right? I mean, he might still be, uh, he might still have some success, but, it, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably... There just has to be a lot of other things. Yeah, right, right. So, like, for example, a fringe pitcher who worked out was Danny Salazar. Danny Salazar only had two pitches, but he was putting up excellent minor league numbers, and he also was throwing, you know, he was hitting 97, 96, 97, 98, maybe. I'll just say a bunch of numbers in the high 90s. <laughs> Seems it'd probably be right about one of them. And he also had that amazing... Uh, what, you know, whatever it is, he does. I guess it's not a split finger changeup. Whatever it has, splitter-like action. Yeah. Stewart, however, apparently, very recent, much more recent scouting reports reveal that he's sitting ninety-two to ninety-four and hitting ninety-six. Yeah, um, indeed. And uh, still putting up not just very good, but even better numbers. I think over three starts at AAA, he bested his AA strikeout and walk rates, which were the best. Or maybe second best to David Paulino at all across all double A levels. What do you what have you heard about Brock Stewart? What and where did he come from? Well his dad scouts for Tampa. Uh, and he's Jimmy from, Stewart. Right. Uh his dad is uh well, they're from Illinois. Mm-hmm. So uh, his high school season his senior season in high school at Illinois, he didn't really pitch very much. If at all, I think he might have pitched once or twice because he was coming off of an injury from the winter, uh, from playing basketball. And he went to college, a small, a small school, I think it was Illinois State. Yeah. And was a two-way player there. And again, I don't think he, he really got to pitch because of injuries. He had a Liz Frank sprain. Uh, and. What's a Frank sprain? A Liz, Liz Frank sprain. Oh, Liz Frank sprain. Who's she? Uh, she, she's, uh, I can't think of anything clever no, I'm no. sorry. But, uh, but then his senior, his junior senior year at Illinois State, he pitched against Casey Gillespie in Wichita State in the conference tournament and was really good. Is that, was that Missouri Valley Conference or something? Like that? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, after that, interest sort of peaked in him as an arm. Uh, but, you know, it's always sort of been fringe stuff, fastball change-up primarily, below-average slider sort of cutter hybrid. And then, you know, I think this year as things have sort of ticked up velocity-wise, that's impacted other things in beneficial ways too. Okay. Now that you're geared up for 94-plus, that change-up is a little bit better. And he's always had sort of an ugly, deceptive delivery, which I think is part of the reason that the industry's never really been very high on him, but he commands things fine, and now it's deception at 94-plus. So, you know, I just think just the velocity coming this season has impacted other aspects of his repertoire and his ability to uh, to miss bats. Uh, it's just that one thing on its own has sort of made everything else better. And, yeah, I mean, the, the reports are, you know, it's still like a, a fringe sort of slider, uh, cutter hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be two 
pitches primarily, but it's an above average plus changeup, and he commands 94 plus with deception. And so at least in the short term, until big league hitters, maybe I think there's a chance figure out a way to deal with that. Uh, I think he's going to be just fine. Do you, that so that um, that rotation from which you just came, right? Brock Stewart is pitching at Triple uh, A, uh, Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. for the Dodgers. That rotation also includes, or has recently included, it recently included Urias, right? Right. Uh, it continues to include Jose De Leon and also Jarrell Cotton. That leads me to think that it has to be one of the best in the minor leagues. Is that uh, is that a, a, a fair statement to make? Based, um, I mean, especially in light of the fact that. Honestly, I don't know too many of the other rotations. Uh, right, yeah. I mean, you'll probably have to sit and, and look at all of them. But yeah, I think it's probably fair to say, certainly now that, you know, like uh, Philly's AAA rotation at the beginning of the year was pretty loaded with Appel and Jake Thompson and stuff. Now Appel's done for the season. There's been some attrition and some promotion. But, yeah, it's 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 a good rotation. Right, and it's, an, it's especially interesting, right, given the fact that – well, one thing that's interesting is that despite all of that talent – uh, the Dodgers opted to throw Nick Tepish as a starter, I think, at the end of last week. That was, a, I thought, a curious decision given all that talent. But now they're turning to Brock Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you have a sense of why they might be turning to Brock Stewart before they do Cotton or De Leon? It could be something as simple as when it's that particular pitcher's turn in the rotation and just lines up with the day they need a guy to start at the big league level. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there might be stuff that we don't know about, about uh, checkpoints that the organization has for these guys to uh, attain before they, you know, quote-unquote deserve any sort of promotion. Uh, that maybe Cotton, who I love, mm-hmm. hasn't hit yet. But yeah, even last year, at the end of last year, when Bolsinger was making starts for them, uh, I was kind of perplexed. Like, I just don't think that's big league stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you, so you, I guess we haven't talked expressly about Cotton, but yeah. I, uh, I, I am quite hopeful about, or uh, optimistic about his, his chances at the major leagues. Do you, how would you explain the gap typically between uh, maybe industry, uh, indus- the industry's regard for him and, and your own feelings about him? Uh, I just, think that there's enough athleticism there that the command will come. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the breaking ball last fall when, you know, you'd see him against advanced hitters in fall league was good enough that it would play. And it's a plus change up in low to mid-90s velocity. And I like all that stuff. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, you know, I... He he does have sort of an interesting background, too, as a lot of these guys do. He's from the Virgin Islands. Uh, and then played at ECU and, uh, you know, via Miami-Dade College. So, you know, it's it's a little bit of an atypical background. I think part of it, too, is his, his size. He's 5'11", 195. But again, he's short, but he's not small. He's a physical kid. And I, and I think, in general, shorter pitchers get undersold a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I, But I do think also that, you know, a fastball, it, it'll play down a little bit if there's if it comes in flat and it's just more likely to come in flat from someone who's 5'11 than it is from someone who's 6'4. Now, when you say that they, they come from, or they all have interesting backgrounds, are you referring, for example, to Jose de Leon's tenure at, uh, what, Southern University? 
Uh, oh, I, I'm just talking about prospects in general. Oh, prospects in general. Yeah, if you really dig, uh, there's normally something interesting about all these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I will say, and I, this is, I'm sure, uh, a simpleton's comment, but um, one of the things that I enjoy about watching minor league baseball is that you do find a – I mean, obviously there are more guys, and this, I'm sure that's part of it. But because because winning is not as essential at that level, because development is occurring, and because you need to have – more you need to have many more players than there are top prospects, right? There have to be guys who are just there essentially, right? Um, or guys maybe like, well, nothing about this profile makes sense really, but um, he's, this guy's having success, so we're going to continue to run him out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you do find a greater you find a greater diversity of skills and and uh, personality types, etc. Yeah, there are just times when, like, have Paul Seawald in the Mets system has, you know, just like a weird sort of delivery and repertoire, and there's just, yeah. <laughs> you go to games and there's guys who do things in ways that you've never seen before, and a lot of times it doesn't quite work, but they're just there because that team needs to roster somebody, and uh, the people that they're playing against have to find some way to deal with the fact that they've never seen anything quite like it, whether it's a weird delivery or, you know, someone swinging in a weird way and catcher and pitcher have to sort of get together and decide how they want to deal with that guy for that particular bat. Uh, and I think the guys that do have success at the lower levels with those weird skill sets and traverse the minors up into high A into double A are the most fascinating players in all of professional baseball. The guys who are just sort of on the cusp of actually being prospects almost because they're weird. Right, right, right. right. Although you do you do have to figure if a guy finds a different means to accomplishing the same thing, there's, there has to be some lesson in there, even if the lesson is not he's going to be a very successful major leaguer. Yeah, even if it just means that uh, someone like me learning – not to judge somebody so quickly right? based on something that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you about uh, your post from today, today okay. being Wednesday in America. Um, you have published the July to sortable board, which is all the players, featuring all of the players, the top players at least, uh, who will be available uh, beginning July 2nd for international free agent signing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I want to tell you, Eric, that this that that this thing you show me is, is at some level is in, is a bit intimidating, right? Okay. Uh, much like yourself, um, because because it's it's in a way that you will not find in other forms of uh, baseball writing, prospect writing. This is this is a list of question marks essentially. And these are all players with whom, um, you know, with whom it's it's basically impossible to have any acquaintance. If you are just, if you know, if you, you could still be, you could be much more than a lay fan, you know. But there's no; these guys do not have any data attached to them. Right. And for myself, and I, I think I probably, my guess is I probably speak for at least a, a portion of of our audience. Uh, players who don't have data attached to them are frightening. You know, because you have no objective means by which to assess their abilities. Now, in terms of how to use the sortable board, 
I do think that, for example, if I'm a Padres fan, right? Right. I will look at this and I will note that, what, like four or five of the top 11 guys um, have uh, are projected to go to the Padres. Yeah, six of the top eleven. Right, six of the top eleven. So if I'm if I if I'm a Padres fan, I say this is exciting. Uh-huh. And so I say that's certainly the takeaway there, and and then I know who to follow. How else though? I mean, in perhaps expanding upon that or looking elsewhere, how do you? What's your sense of of how this might be of the greatest benefit to to people who are reading it? Well, you know, I think it's just sort of an introduction to players who you're not going to hear about for another three or four years. <laughs> um, th- this, it really is, and look, this took a lot of work. Um, and it, I, there is some folly to it, I think, uh, on my end, because a lot of these guys aren't even going to be stateside after they sign until late next fall for Instructional mm-hmm. League. Mm-hmm. You know, there are guys who are going to stay in the DSL for a year and just sort of work out and play in sim games at teams' academies. And a lot of these guys, beyond this week when they sign, you might not ever hear from them ever again. Uh, but I think the long-term benefits of this exercise are... I, I don't even know if we can comprehend them yet. I think right. if, if doing this... Well, uh, you know, over a five, six, seven year period mm-hmm. might yield some really interesting research down the line, especially with some of the, the more benign aspects of it, like who these kids trainers are, or, uh, you know, even just from a bonus perspective, once we, you know, if, if front offices are in place long enough where we can sort of track their, mm-hmm. uh, their deals. The one thing that might completely derail all of that, of course, is if there's an international draft instituted in the next CBA, which based on every one I've spoken with's opinion is uh, maybe not a likelihood in the next CBA, but is almost a certitude at some point in the near future. So I think, you know, it's a high-risk investment of my time and of Fangraphs' time. <laughs> but it's fun, and, you know, these are interesting players. It's just And learning about how scouts and organizations deal with the fact that not only are, are we talking about 16-year-olds here, but we're talking about players who agreed to deals between the ages of 14 and 15 in most cases. Right, and this is why you offer... Uh, the warning, right, is you you probably do not necessarily want to to assess the, or to judge the quality of the players based on the bonuses they're receiving because there could right. be a number of other factors at work. Yes, and uh, you know I wrote about some of that in the the intro to the board today, and Kylie had a piece on from uh, I think yeah a year ago today now it is uh, about some of the shenanigans that go on behind the scenes with the international market. Things like package deals. If you're a team that's in the penalty box this year, uh, but you want, or no, excuse me, like the, the package deal situation where you can pay a, a player's trainer $300,000 for a player this year that's only maybe worth one hundred in exchange for getting a better player cheaper the next year when you wouldn't be able to you know, otherwise sign him. Ah, right. Uh, so, like, there's a whole lot that goes into the bonuses. And, you know, of course, these kids sometimes agree to deals at 14. 
and having a $4 million deal in hand at 14 or 15 is better for these trainers and these kids in their opinion uh, than it is to wait until they're 16 when, you know, in that two-year span, who knows what could happen to them physically. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. You said it might take about five years for, for any of these names to make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I have here a list of the top 30 bonuses from 2011. Okay. And I'm going to say a name, okay? Yeah. And then you're just going to tell me, well, if you've heard of him, if you remember who he is, you tell right. me. If you have something substantive to say about him, feel free to say that. And if he's not on your radar, also say that. Because here's what we're, we're using your – I'm taking for granted that you have – a pretty good sense of the relevant minor leaguers. Do you think mm-hmm. that's a fair um, a fair statement from which to work? Yeah. Yeah. We're, so we're I hope using so. Your, hmm? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. You're the lead, lead – no, you're, yeah. you're not the lead prospect. You're the lead prospect analyst. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's conduct this experiment. These are players who were signed after July 2, starting and after July 2, 2011. Um. The the highest paid the highest bonus from that particular signing period was Nomar uh, belonged to the highest bonus belonged to Nomar Mazara. Right. Yeah. Four point nine five million. Yeah, very uh, very aware of him. <laughs> yeah, and I think pr- probably almost everyone is because I think he's playing quite well for the Texas Rangers as their right fielder right now. Yep. Does that sound right? Right fielder. Yes. Yeah, sounds right to me. Um, so that one worked out well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second, Ronald Guzman. Yep. Uh, 3.45 from a million from the Rangers that year. Yeah, and both he and Mazzara were the sort the type of player that AJ Preller sort of became uh noted for targeting. Those big bodied guys who maybe need some mechanical work but have a whole lot of power projection. Mm-hmm. Uh last year Fall League Guzman at the plate was sort of passive, a uh, lot of focus on him sort of making contact the other way and was sort of turning into a, a weird big-bodied singles hitter. Uh, and then this year's, you know, it's it's things have been better. What would you put on him as an FV, which means future value? Right now or at the time? No. Probably still like a 40. Mm, okay. It seems like quite a bit for 3.45 million in terms of a bonus. I mean, in terms of where it ranks in the bonuses. Uh, mm-hmm. Next is Kansas City Royals, three $3 million, Elier, Elier Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Does that name sound familiar? Yeah, because he's still in the Royal system, and I saw him Monday night. <laughs> oh, okay, so quite familiar. Yeah. What's his trajectory right now? I mean, all these guys are basically the same age at this point. They're all 21. Yeah, he, I think, yeah, Hernandez, I think, is still 21. I don't think he's one of those, one of the older ones for the class, but I think he, uh, I think he's still 21. Okay, where is he playing? Is he, he, he was listed as an outfielder. Is that still make, is that still where mm-hmm. he is? Yep. Corner, uh, center? look great on Monday night. I can actually. You got some notes right there? Yeah, I do. They're in you, my bag. You're digging into some notes? I'm all packed and ready to go for when we're done. Oh, yeah, you gotta get going. 13 minutes left. To we got 13 minutes here. left. Yeah, I just have, you know, I'm getting there. This is riveting radio. Uh, it's about as good as that community radio station was, <laughs> which I was a DJ 
or a host, I guess. Yeah, I just have it's like fringe average bat speed. He's not tracking. Uh, it's more of a contact oriented path uh, when he is on plane with the baseball. Okay. Body still has projection, but he's 21 and he's still in. He's in high A, which I guess isn't that bad. No. But yeah, he had, it didn't look good uh, on Monday, and I guess on paper things aren't uh, looking too good either. Victor Sanchez. Drafted, nah. taken out of Venezuela for $2.5 million by the Mariners. Nope. D- don't even... Don't even... Nope. <laughs> not familiar to you? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, let me let me do a little research. Well, okay, well, he hasn't pitched since 2014. Okay. I don't know if he's injured. Oh, wow. Okay, so here's bad news about Victor Sanchez. Oh, he's dead, isn't he? He's dead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, that's, uh, yep. The darkness is among us, is what we learned from that. Oh, man. I'm not going to take back any of the lighter comments I was making previously, because I need to own those. Mm-hmm. But uh, that is uh, that is too bad for a young man. I don't know what sort of person he was, but uh, it's hard, hard to take. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi, shortstop. Kansas City Royals. Yeah, so uh, obviously coming off of a suspension for performance enhancing drugs. No, you see, see, you say that that is not obvious to me. Okay. So you can uh, be... <laughs> I saw him Monday night as well. Okay. Yes. And I saw him a few weeks ago in extended as he was coming back from his suspension. Okay. He doesn't look very good right now. Uh, obviously. Yeah, what is his, is, it, is this actually Raul Mondesi Jr.? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not technically Raul Montesi Jr. because you have to share a middle name, and I believe they have uh, different last names. Yeah. And actually, I think for a while there, he was just going by Adalberto Mondesi, but it is Raul Mondesi's son. Okay. Uh, yeah, on Monday night, just poor pitch recognition. I got video up on the on YouTube from that night. You could see just swinging at things that just were nowhere near the strike zone. Right. But I think you know, it's... Good defensive shortstop. He runs well, although I only got a 55 time on him on Monday night. And uh, even though I don't think he's going to hit very much, you know, I just think he's a big leaguer because of the defensive profile. Okay, so I'm, I'm making uh, three columns. Um, I'm making three columns right here. Okay. Uh, in my notebook, one of them says success, right? Right. So I think we could say Nomar Mazzara is a is a success. He's gotten to the majors, right? Yeah, he's gotten to the majors. He's got, and I, you know, if if nothing else, you could say he's, he has quite a bit of trade value, right? So he's a, he's a very he's a valuable asset to his club. Mm. Does that seem fair? Yes, I would say he's a success five years out. Would you say that? Yes. Um, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Sanchez is, is, is the it belongs in the second column, which is which is bust. You don't have a you don't have a deceased column. No, I mean. I mean, it's, the point is we all bust in the end. Yeah. It's just his is particularly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that didn't work out. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Raul, uh, Ronald Guzman. So there's a third column too. I should tell you, uh, too early to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how many of these guys will belong. Should, should, do you think I should ha- allow for that third column, or should I say success so far, and or bust as so far as we know? Uh, I think in general, the fact that you, if you sign a 16-year-old and he makes it to double A and is having success at that level, then I think in general the signing was a success. Five so years out, you call it a success. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's call, uh, you want to call Guzman a success then? Yeah, it's probably a little liberal, but I'm okay with it. Okay. Okay. Hernandez, I would not say, is a success. Elia Hernandez. Right. Not a success. Right. So that's two, two and two. Uh, Mondesi? Success. Played in the World Series last year. <laughs> yes, he did. Okay, uh, let's see. Our sixth player signed for just under $2 million in 2011. Outfielder for the Mariners. Uh, I, but before I say his name, I wanted to tell you that I apologize for my honky mouth. It's Leal. Okay, thank you. I already know. Who, yeah, uh, he's still an extended. Uh, so that's you can stick that in the failure column. Okay. That's he's, he's, I've he's, seen him a bunch this spring. Uh, the body, he's gone south. Uh, it's you know slow twitch. Just not. There's not a whole lot there. So I'd say that that's a failure. Okay. All right. This is, by the way, this is not very scientific. But if anyone is following along, we're at three and three right now. Uh, next, uh, signed by the Cubs is a, a catcher out of Venezuela, one point six million. Mark Malave. Uh, that's another name that I'm not too familiar with. I really and it wouldn't hope surprise he didn't me if he were out of baseball. You wouldn't be surprised if you were out of baseball. Oh wait, is that the guy that they converted to pitching? That's fine. See, this is this is fine. It's fine if you don't know. That's the point I'd like to make. Yeah, you're right. They did I, convert. He is. He okay. has been converted to pitching. So I would say system. that in general, that probably means that that's that's not gone well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, they've had to do this. Right. Okay, so that's that's going to be another one of the bus column. Again, that 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 could change around. I guess we can allow for that. Oh, look at mm-hmm. tied for eighth, one point five million, also signed by the Rangers, who appear to have had uh, quite a bit of success at this point. Johander Mendez. That's a success. That's that's success. a guy who's going to be on top one hundred prospect lists this off season. This off season, right? And he has appeared um, among my uh, fringe darlings, my fringe yeah, precious. It's, it's low to mid nineties. Uh, he throws strikes. There's still some physical projection left. I saw three above-average pitches from him this spring, and I heard from a scout early this year who said that he's still kind of messing around with two different breaking balls to see which one works best for him, and they both might work out, so you might be looking at a four-pitch mix there. Okay. Now, I know that the changeup uh, has received quite a bit of attention. What's the what's this other uh, some, some sort of breaking pitch that is also looking good? Yeah, uh, I had a curveball in spring, but I guess it's sort of like a mix with a curveball and a slider now, and I think scouts are just trying to sort through which one they prefer, which one they think has more potential. Okay, that's fine. This is I, I like this little project we're, we're looking at now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you like it? Yeah. I mean, it's fun to talk to you in general, Eric. I like you, but th- this is sort of a fun game to go through. It's nice for me because you have knowledge I don't, and so I can ask you these questions. Is it fine? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Signed by the Blue Jays out of Mexico as a 16-year-old, $1.5 million. Right-handed pitcher Roberto Asuna. Yeah, he's in the big leagues. It's a success. It's a success. So that is five out of the first nine guys. And then there are two guys signed for ten. We'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, maybe Wilmer Becerra? Wilmer? Yeah, I'd say it's, I think it's Wilmer. Okay. Uh, I say that's a success. Where is he now? He's hitting in the Florida State League, which is a difficult place to hit. It's yeah. sort of five uh, fringe to average tools. Yeah. Uh, I think the grades and the power 
the raw power probably a little bit more based on projection because he's like got that sort of ideal power hitter's body mm-hmm. uh, than they are production. But I I call that a success so far. I mean, I think it's still obviously you know he's got a long way to go, but uh, things are progressing well. Okay, I think that's six successes out of um, ten players, and then uh, also tied uh, with him, also signed by the Blue Jays, one point three million dollars out of the Dominican Dawell or Davel Lugo. Yeah, Dawell Lugo um, probably was signed as a shortstop, like everybody is. Body has sort of moved into a place where it's second or third base. He still has good bat speed. Uh, you know, there's there's some quick twitch athleticism there. I don't know what he's done statistically this year. I can tell you, I saw him last week and was was mildly interested. Mm-hmm. Now, so that's seven successes out of eleven. Would you regard that? Uh, does that seem about right for you? Do you think that that is a good? It seems to me like quite a, uh, yeah. quite a good year. Yeah, I think it, I think it is a good year, and I think that I mean, of course, at this time the system was much different than it is now. Mm-hmm. There weren't bonus pools, and uh, the, the methodology the teams had to deal with them at that time. But yeah, like I just pulled up the list of the guys from that class now, and there's a lot of good players on this list. Uh, Harold Ramirez signed for for one uh, million. Well, I, I see Manny well. Margot too. Yeah, Manuel Margot, 800,000. Carlos Tachi, 760. Miguel Andujar, I saw last night, is hitting at double uh, A, uh, although I didn't like the skill set as three quarters of a million. So, yeah, there's some, there were some interesting guys in this class, and okay. I think in general the industry did well this year. Okay. Um, a brief a brief detour here, or at least a, a segue. We know that um, from a different, number of different sources that international players – are often effed over by the process. True? Yeah, yeah. Totally effed over? Yeah, I mean, anything... In my opinion, any system put in place that limits how much a kid can make it would it qualifies as them being effed. Yeah, right. So uh, on the topic of limiting how much kids can make, um, I, do, I have no intention of commenting this uh, at any length or asking you to as well. I know that I'm not really equipped to do it, uh, but I did find, and I know that uh, Nathaniel Groh, who's our legal correspondent, right. has, has written about this to some degree. But there appears to be some sort of legislation on the House floor, um, mm. which uh, is meant, on the one hand, if you're one sort of person, to save minor league baseball, uh, or on the other, to continue <laughs> effing over uh, an entire <laughs> an entire demographic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can, do you, can, you sum, can you summarize the legislation briefly in a way that I couldn't? So the uh, Brett Guthrie, who's a congressman from Kentucky, and Sherry, I, th- I believe it's pronounced Bustos, who's a congresswoman from Illinois, presented legislation that was made public today called the – I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, the press release says minor league baseball supports new bipartisan, which uh, I'm, that word makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside <laughs> legislation to protect America's pastime as Guthrie and Bustos introduce save America's pastime act. Yeah. Save, save America's pastime act is the name of the, so essentially what this, what they want to do is they want to amend the fair labor standards act, which is, you know, the, the bill that, regulates things like minimum wage and overtime pay. Uh, 
<coughs> pardon me, uh, so that it doesn't include minor league baseball players. And the release today, they have quotes from minor league baseball president. I'm just caught. You okay? Yeah. Did you you hitting your mute button? Your cough button? No, I'm no, I didn't hit my cough button. I'm just coughing. Oh, okay. I'm moving on. Uh, but yeah, Pat O'Connor, the minor league baseball president, see. Hold on. Oh, we'll take this opportunity to play the Fangraphs audio hold music. Sorry, I had an almond and I got caught in my throat. So yeah, I'm sure this takes away from the gravity of this entire situation. But but yeah, there are quotes from people within minor league baseball, general managers of minor league teams and stuff, in support of the act that are in the press release today. And the release in general sort of implies that minor league teams are responsible for paying the minor league players, which just isn't true. Yes, that's, that, yes, uh, that it is. Uh, I will I will say that it is very misleading in that direction. Um, yeah. And there's an alarmist tone struck that if uh, if players are compensated at a rate above minimum wage, that it will that it will ruin minor league baseball as we know it. Right. That it will effectively kill minor league baseball and therefore ruin the talent pipeline to major league baseball. Uh, so you know, since this has come out, you know, we've learned that uh, the commissioner's office has. Uh, sent money to Ms. Bustos over the last two years and to Mr. Guthrie in 2015. We've learned that uh, Representative Bustos' father was a lobbyist for Major League Baseball at a time and worked to, to maintain the baseball's antitrust exemption while he was alive. So, you know, this thing just reeks <laughs> to heaven. So, like... Um, yeah, do some Googling, folks, and, and check this out. You know, most minor league players make 1100 bucks a paycheck at the lower levels, and that's only during the season. It's not year-round, and there are expenses drawn away from that uh, for hotels and things like that as well. So it's not uh, – baseball is a $9 billion annual industry, so I don't think there's anything wrong with paying uh, minor league players. Right. Yeah, it – yeah, uh, um and, and again, I don't know necessarily all the uh, the variables at play, but it does seem to be, at the very least, it seems to be a sort of uh, intentionally misleading act of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. The, the press release. I think it would be fair to argue that. Um, to, to argue that. Um, anyway, uh, I know you have to go pretty soon. Um, do they have any more? Do they have any more questions? Oh yeah, this this last one is is what I uh, wanted to get to. Um, in your Announcement for the sortable board for the mm-hmm. July second signings. You uh, provide a link. A hel- it was a helpful link to the 2080 scale. It was broken down by Kyla McDaniel a couple of years ago. Right. Um, always a useful post. Uh, but I was I was thinking about something right because on that scale, Kyla McDaniel classified a 50 fastball league average fastball as about 90 to 91 miles per hour. And in fact. Um, looking back at some pitch FX data, it appears as though among major league starters, 91 miles per hour was the league average fastball. In six short years, however, 
the league, uh, the average fastball velocity among starters has increased by a full mile per hour, such that it is now 92 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And so what would have been, so if a scout were to have the, <laughs> take advantage of a time machine, uh, a scout from 2011, travel to 2016 and watch a game, he would be giving out a lot of 55s on fastballs that are average right now. But right. so my question is, do the <coughs> scouting grades do they adjust to account for um, I guess you know the realities of the present so far as something like velocity is concerned? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I worked on I guess what you could call an independent study while I was at Baseball Info Solutions uh, that sort of got to something similar to what you're uh, getting at. And that was about uh, the grading speed based on times from home to first. And if you look at Kyle Lee's post on the 20 to 80 scale, which I agree is wonderful, mm-hmm. and is something that I frequently go back to reference to make sure that everything with my grades and you know my future value rankings are, are lining up because it is just like a nice guide, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see the, the times from home to first that constitute a grade on the 20 to 80 scale. And in my research, which you can find, I think the post is still probably up at CrashBurnAlley.com. If you just Google like Eric Longenhagen run tool bell curve or whatever, uh, the, the, the way the grades are laid out is just, it's not accurate. Okay. But also in that piece, and I maintain this opinion, uh, I say that I, I don't care. It doesn't really matter. The communicative value that the scale has and that grades have is far more important than them actually being accurate from a scientific standpoint. We've had the scouting scale now since Branch Rickey supposedly created it, and it is just so much a part of scouting and its foundation that changing it would be akin to the United States trying to convert to metric. Uh, if I tell you, and you're another scout, that player X is a 60 runner, you know what that means. Uh, and the value in me being able to communicate that part of a player's skill set to you instantaneously is much more important than making sure that, you know, a 60 on the scale is actually someone 4.08 from home to first, uh, than 4.1 flat. Like, it's just not that important to, to have that sort of demarcation. Right. So, I think the same probably goes for velocity. I haven't spoken with any scouts whose teams are asking their scouts to shift the way they grade velocity or anything else. I think uh, that there is a barrier between people who would read a scouting report and but but not know what a fifty means. Like you might you might know 
before you know about scouting that the league average fastball is 92 miles an hour and then look at a fastball or look at a scouting report, see a 50 on there and assume that it averages about 92. Uh, and that, that's sort of unfortunate, but, um, yeah, I just don't see anything changing. Well, no, and I, and this is where I, I mean, I certainly agree with you is that the, the point is if I am one scout and I am attempting to communicate to another scout or a scouting director or general manager, etc., what the fastball looks like, and and I know how I need to say it, and the GM or whatever understands what I mean when I say it. I mean that's that's essentially what language is, right? Right. And this this comes up too. So the so the thing is like even if it's not technically accurate, if you are communicating the idea. The mo- in the most effective way possible, then that's the solution. And it's something that comes up with language acquisition a lot, right? Because if you were learning French, Eric, do you want to learn necessarily um, – do you want to learn ac- uh, flawless uh, usage or do you actually want to learn, for example, how to speak like a like a French person speaks, and those are two separate questions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them is quite a bit easier to do from the United States. You know, you can you can uh, read uh, grammar books, for example. But unless you are actually like part of, um, you know, you actually have uh, native-born friends or acquaintances, then it's a lot harder to to actually speak the language of that you know particular that particular group. Mm-hmm. Does, do you under, does that make sense? Do you think it's yeah, a decent it analogy? Mm-hmm. You, you, think, ever, you ever make analogies, Eric? Yeah, I, yeah, all the time. Okay. I love I love analogies. Yeah. I think that was a good one. Okay. You know, I think part of the reason this is even a conversation that we're having is because of the increased amount of objectivity we have for things like this. Mm-hmm. If one day we can objectively measure raw power, someone in uh, you know a podcast. Decades from now, we'll probably be having a similar conversation. Uh, and you know, if Ted Williams were a prospect now, what were you know what would his raw power be? I don't know. Um, so I think uh, that yeah, I I, I don't want to sound like some old curmudgeon who doesn't want anything to change, but uh, I think that there'd be uh, I, I, there'd have to be some some real care given to the implementation of any sort of shift of the scale in any kind of way. Yeah. I think it's you can read a scouting report, and if it says a pitcher's got a 50 fastball and a 50 breaking ball and 40 control, that you know that that guy's not good enough to pitch in relief. Like, you know, that's just not good. The stuff's not good enough. Whereas maybe, you know, 10 years ago it would have been. Yeah. You guys throw a lot of relievers throwing hard these days, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it's crazy. <laughs> That's how you said it, isn't it? Yep. <sighs> I think this has gone well. Yeah, I think so too. Other than I'm, you know, me almost choking. Yeah, that didn't affect me too much. I just need to bring liquid. I need to have liquid here. Yeah. What are your ballpark snacks? You got beef jerky. <laughs> I'm not a ballpark snack guy. No? No. I like the I do the Spartan Spartan scouting diet. I think it's okay to sit there and you know, it's the seventh inning and 
two and a half hours have gone by and you feel your stomach go a little bit and then, you know, you just sort of suppress it and, and focus up. Like I like doing that. Okay. Do you have friends at these parks? Do you know the guys at these parks? Uh, you know, when I go to see the Iron Pigs this week, I probably will. Yeah. I think I have an ex-girlfriend there still. I would be so nervous. I was always so nervous when I sit behind the plates because I, the, the, the scouts, and I've actually had nice conversations with some of them, you know, but once mm-hmm. I've been like introduced, you know, like when I would go with Kylie sometimes, yeah, he introduced me and then you're part of the club. But if you, as just a guy sitting there, I do not feel invited. Well, you, you have, you know, I can put on a polo shirt and khakis and sort of chameleon my way in and no one knows that I'm some uber weirdo. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a little more, you wear it a little more. <laughs> you think I'm flamboyant? <laughs> you think I'm flamboyant? That's what my mom always used to say, although she didn't use that word. But, uh, you know, scouts are, I've, I've been told to f*** off by scouts who don't want me, you know, as soon as they find out I'm a writer, don't want me anywhere near them. It's just part of it. Yeah. All right. My wife here. Oh, that's the that's, hmm? the that's the electrician calling. Yeah, you can't answer that right now. Yeah, Jill called me too. I you know I hope she's okay. <laughs> yeah, the electrician came. All right, but you've you've uh, fulfilled your obligation. You got a game to go to. Yeah, I'm gonna check the lineups and see if Robert and uh, Julio Pablo Martinez are in it. But if uh, if they are, then yeah, I gotta like shower real fast and go. Yeah, I think you do. You should shower. Yeah. All right. It's muggy. Eric, while you stick around for one second, but for the purposes of the program, I want to say thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, are we going to do this again next Wednesday when I'm back in Tempe? You know, I was thinking, can I can I float something to you? Yeah. I was floating bi-weekly. Can I tell you why? Why? I've I've wandered into a schedule with I Dane Perry once a month, mm-hmm. Jeff Sullivan once a month. And what I was thinking was, you know, and Cameron every week, of course. So one week would be Cameron Dane Perry, and the next week would be Cameron Longenhagen. And then the next week would be Cameron Sullivan, and then the next week would be Cameron Longenhagen. Next All week, right. Cameron Perry, Cameron Longenhagen, Cameron... You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I dig that. Is that fine? For now, I mean, if, if you find that you are overwhelmed and that you are bubbling over with hot information... <laughs> Then we can uh, we can get ourselves into a, a weekly thing. Yeah, that sounds good. It's just uh, I'm a little bit I'm also a little bit allergic to work. I don't know if you know that. No, I wasn't aware of that. I'm almost addicted to it at this point. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's healthy? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Did I tell you? What I you know, we're last? still recording. I just want you to... I know. Uh, I don't care. It's fine. I'm, say it. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm looking at like traffic now, and I'm trying to find the Cuban lineup, and I don't even know if I'm going to make it. Um, last week for the Cal League All-Star Game, Bill Mitchell, who writes for Baseball America, and I went to the game. We drove together, and we drove home right after the game and got home at like 5 a.m. <laughs> Are you joking? No. That's not... You do not this want to what, be... Like I'm, this is what I'm getting used to doing now. Mm. And with, now that Jill's not teaching because it's summer, yeah, and she's just doing art at home, and yeah. it's an artist and a writer living together. Do you, do you have any idea what that's like? <laughs> you guys are you guys stay up late, I bet. Yeah, yeah. 
it does happen. It's um, I'm sure not to every cohabitating couple, but uh, certainly I tend to go I tend to go to bed earlier now than I would have uh, if, were I not married. Um, because my wife likes to go to bed early. Although I will say that this and this is a development, honestly, of the last two months. I've begun going to bed of my own volition earlier in like an old person way. Like I, I, uh, yep, I just see the time. I'm like, oh, it's not going to happen tonight. It's not happening tonight. I go to bed. That's an admission. That's a confession to you. I uh, I fell asleep during a screening of The Shining two Halloweens ago, <laughs> and that's when I realized I was uh, not immune to Father Time. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you might be you might be past midlife. You don't know. <laughs> All right. I can't believe your mom was it. For the purposes of the program, thank you, Eric Longenhagen. You're welcome, Carson Sestouli. That is lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>